Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and Charlie is still gone. He is still in Italy. So if this is your first episode that you are listening to, just know we normally have the two of us on here going through the news, ripping it apart every single day of the week when we want to, but we've been doing all of these great interviews over the last couple weeks while Charlie was gone, and today's was awesome. It was with Justin Cornett, who's the president of For All Tennessee, and you know that we talk a lot about things going on in the country. We talk about what's going on at the national level, but it's very important also to pay attention to what's going on at the local level. In fact, it could even be more important to pay attention to what's going on at the local level, uh, because as Justin says here in a little bit, that's actually what's going to directly affect your life the soonest. I mean, what the governor does, what your uh, different localities do, that ends up being the most important, and that's what you have the most control over. I don't normally just read something from the website, but their mission was so clear and concise and good that it deserves to be read. Uh, they, their mission is to mobilize Tennesseans around policy that empowers people and limits government. There you go. Nice and simple. Okay, they're, they've done some, uh, some great things, and they're working on some really cool stuff as well. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Before we get to that, of course, I got to do a little bit of housekeeping here. I got to tell everyone, if you want to join our exclusive locals.com community, you can do that by going to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. The episode I did a couple days ago where I did commentary on an Ayn Rand video where she was talking with Phil Donahue, so I was playing it and then stopping and giving comments on it. That's going to be something that we're doing weekly in that community, as well as a lot of really cool things. And so if you are not already a Patreon member, which we are switching away from because Locals is the free market's response to big tech, so we've got to be on there, okay? We've got to follow our principles to be on there. Go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com and join that exclusive community. And then I have to tell you guys about BetterHelp. You've heard us talk about them before, but this is a really cool app. If you are having an issue, like maybe you're not as happy as you uh, feel like you should be, is there, is there something that's keeping you down? You're not, you're not getting everything you want out of life. Well, this is a, an app, a website where you will get paired up with a licensed therapist. You can talk if you're going through depression, anxiety, uh, relationship issues, anything like that, they will pair you up with someone after asking you a few questions about yourself uh, with a licensed therapist. And you can always switch uh, to a different one. If you don't want that one, you can switch to a different one. And so it's a really cool thing. You can talk over video. Uh, you can just talk on the phone. You can text back and forth. You can talk through the uh, through the app. Really cool. Way cheaper than actually going into an office. And this is something that Charlie and I both believe in a lot. You've heard us talk about BetterHelp a bunch. And this is something that we that we really believe in and have used or are using. And and so you have to go to betterhelp.com slash GML. You'll get 10% off your first month by doing that. Betterhelp.com slash GML. And now I'm going to put you guys straight into the interview with Justin. I'm right here with uh, Justin Cornett, who is the president of For All Tennessee. By the way, I was going to tell you that the first time I heard about you guys was from Larry Sharp, 
uh, he mentioned we were talking about some local politics, and he said, you guys have a great organization right there in Nashville called uh, For All Tennessee, and he gave us the website uh, on the interview, actually. So so that was pretty cool. That was the first place that I heard about you guys. So why don't you tell everyone uh, about For All Tennessee? That's awesome to hear, considering I hadn't, I hadn't talked to Larry Sharp about this organization at all, and he's done that organically. Um but yeah, we're really proud of what we put together, man. Um, my partner on this likes to refer to it as the democratization of a 501c4. Uh, and really, that's a very apt description. Um, we set out to answer the question, who lobbies for the regular guy? You know, um, corporations have lobbyists, government has lobbyists, moneyed interest has lobbyists, special interest has lobbyists. But what about regular, everyday, silent majority folks who works for them? Um, so what we did is we put together an organization that's entirely responsive to the, the people that sustain the organization, uh, takes direction from them, and... Uh, separates all the issues out so that your money goes to things that you want it to go to and not to things that you don't want it to go to. So uh, we think we've got an, a, a organization that uh, doesn't fit the typical mold and has a lot to offer in this space that a lot of organizations don't have to offer in this space. Tell me, has there been any struggle for, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously money is very enticing. So a big, a big company comes in and says, Hey, I really like what you guys are doing. I want to give you guys a bunch of money. And you guys are like, well, this is this is really for. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not. I'm not going to do this. Is is that tough? Well, it, it is, and it's not. Um, the way the organization works, uh, again, it's entirely responsive to the members. So, the board and myself, as president of the organization, don't have the authority or the power to go to an organization or a donor and say, "Yes, we will work your bill." Uh, it's just not possible to do that because it has to go through these channels first. So. Um, we want big donors, but we want big donors that understand what the process looks like. And the process is essentially you have something you want us to work. Does it fit in the wheelhouse? If yes, then we throw it in front of our members. And if our members want us to work it, then we go and we work it. Tell me so. about some of the uh, some of the education side that you guys do. I noticed uh, I noticed on the website you said policy advocates uh, speaking to individuals. Uh, is that mainly I mean, the you know, you and I noticed a lot of other people, by the way, in the organization that I know and have uh, run across here in here in Nashville. Uh, so how do you guys go about doing that? Well, uh, that's actually kind of what we're undertaking right now, again, because the organization kind of relies on its members to vote on the policies that we take. Um, one of the things that's really necessary for us is to kind of educate mem or educate our members on different issues that affect them that they may not be aware of. Um, civil asset forfeiture is a very good example. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people out there that actually know what civil asset forfeiture is. Um, but as soon as you tell them that the way the law works, uh, police can take your stuff because they want to and never have to charge you with a crime, um, that's going to rub people the wrong way nine times out of ten. So uh, 
it's just a, a, a that's the kind of issues that we're sticking to. Um, and we think that uh, um, in doing so, by picking these issues that stand on their own merit, um, we have winners that are natural winners. Again, if you're a state representative and you want to go back to your district and explain to the people why you think it's OK that police can take your stuff without charging people with a crime, that's fine. That's an argument we think will win. Um ballot access for minor parties. Um, I think most people in the state would think that other parties should be able to participate in elections, whether the two-party system in this state does or not. Um, blighted properties. Um, you know, we had a bill that would have prevented homes that were not blighted from being taken through eminent domain because they were adjacent to a blighted property. Who's going to argue that that's a bad policy to take, you know? Um, so we'll, uh, I know the ballot access thing is a big thing. I want to ask you about that, but, um, just running through some of the stuff on the organization that you were talking about, uh, state representatives and everything, but also notice that you guys don't support specific candidates. So is that, is that tougher, uh, to get them to pay attention to what you're doing, uh, when you're not supporting the specific candidates? Do you think it will be? I think it'll be a double-edged sword, yes and no. Um, I mean, some of these guys are going to be very relieved that we're not going to oppose them in any kind of real way. Um, Other people uh, might wish that we supported them in a more tangible way. But um, we think that by not getting involved in elections, we can – treat all of these conversations with all these reps, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on the same way. Um, you know, nice, even hand. We hope you agree with us. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, we'll have a conversation in your district about some of these policies. I mean, that's really all it is. And uh, a really, really different thing uh, that we were just talking about before we started is this whole crowdsourcing of the policies idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that works. And again, we have members um, and uh, we're going to spend a bunch of time educating members on policies uh, over the next uh, four months or so uh, leading up to session. Uh, The plan is to throw 40 or so issues out in front of people and just, you know, ask people which ones of these things are important to you. And um, those will be the things that we work. But essentially, the goal is to engage people, survey them on small groups of issues and see which ones they like the best. And uh, by fall, hopefully have a, or, you know, closer to when session starts in January, um, we would uh, have a poll, uh, an actual vote uh, where our members vote on what issues they want us to work on. Uh, And whatever they say creates the short list and, all that we do at the at the upper levels of the organization is uh, um, <clears throat> make sure that we have the capacity to work the legislation that they sign off on, and you know make sure that um, it's got a chance. It's not wasting everybody's time, that kind of stuff. Uh, so we're just the, the the upper end of it is just kind of consolidating and make sure everything is viable uh, when we go to do it. Something I'm interested in right there is this whole uh, the the democratizing 
the policy choices there. Now, as a, you know, we're a libertarian podcast. I'm not going to put any political uh, leanings on you guys, but uh, we're libertarian podcasts. And a lot of times, and we don't like the idea of the, just the majority deciding what is important. And I've noticed a lot that, uh, that liberty leaning folks, they still believe in that idea at a very, very small local level. And as long as you're not taking liberties away from other people with any of those votes. And uh, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? How we can be, you know, we want to do this democratizing this idea, but we don't want to do that on uh, this really large grand scale. Yeah. uh, I mean, so if you've read Washington's farewell address, um, you know where uh, the founding fathers stood on parties and factionalism in general and uh, what they thought would uh, come of factionalism and partisanship in this country if it persisted. Uh, and if you read it today, uh, those words are almost prophetic. I, I mean, everything that Washington said was going to happen in that farewell address is currently a problem that we have in our country now. Uh, the it wasn't this country wasn't designed to be run by a two party system. It was designed to be guided by the people that the government serves. So, in essence, what we're doing is putting together a, a organization that facilitates that um, outside of partisanship, outside of party boundaries, uh, and just says. What can we come together on? What can we agree on that fits around this one principle? And that one principle is policy that empowers people or limits government. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of partisanship. Um, I've done time in Republican Party and Libertarian Party and got lots of friends that are Democrats and Democratic Socialists and all these different things. And, you know, everybody's right and everybody's wrong on a number of different issues. Um, So let's just try to work around a principle together and uh, see how much we can whittle the government back, pare it back. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I went to the Capitol about – I guess it's been about a month ago now. Um, and um, I, I got into one of the offices at the legislature, took all the Tennessee code, uh, the the books, the printed books off the shelf uh, and stacked them up and counted the pages in there. And it was a nine foot tall stack of books. Yeah. That's just the Tennessee code. 41,675 pages does not include any of the regulatory uh, uh, agency um, provisions. Doesn't include any jury uh, or um, uh, court rules, anything like that. That's just the code. 41,675 pages. That's a problem. I mean, that's a legitimate problem. We need to shrink that, and that's what we want to do. How the heck do we even get to that point? I mean, 41,000 pages, a nine-foot stack of codes, and that's freedom, you know? We're free. We have The, the way we got there is because the people of this country that were supposed to be standing guard as sentinels um, and protecting their freedoms from unscrupulous men that might come and take over governments – um, is that we, it's our job to protect us. It's our job to, um, 
preserve our own rights. Uh, and with the system that we have now, um, legislators tend to be insulated from constituents because the party um, has protected seats. Uh, they have money that protects incumbents, uh, and it allows these people to take votes uh, that their constituents might not agree with, but the party money agrees with, so they get to keep their job. Um, and we're just, we've gotten really far away from the foundational principles of personal responsibility in this country. And the legislators keep making law uh, to show that they're doing stuff, um, but we are basically creating laws that are redundant. And that's how we get to 42,000 pages of law. You know, and we have a gun law that says don't kill people. And then we have a gun law that says don't kill people in a school zone or don't kill people while you're on drugs or don't kill people with this certain kind of weapon. You know, I mean, it, it's just don't kill people. It's really all it is. Yeah, I feel like that covers all of those uh, potential options. Right. But over time, I feel like people become complacent. Uh, maybe we have a good situation. You think you don't have to pay attention. We were just having this conversation. I can't remember what interview it was the other day that it was really on the people to fix this, that we can't we can't rely on the government to do it. And if the people would just pay attention and if they would have those uh, those those uh, principles of personal responsibility uh, that we could actually change things. I think I was mentioning uh, the money in politics, uh, people being bought off. We were talking about how, you know, the people on the left will say that actually it's the corporations who have corrupted the government. And, and that's what's, and that's what's happened. And I think we've, I think that there's good arguments on both sides there, but if the people were paying attention to these problems, those corrupt people wouldn't be able to stay in office, but we've stopped paying attention, especially at local levels. People don't like mm. paying attention to things at local levels. I'm guilty of this, of this also. Um, I, I don't know everything that's going on, even in my, even in my town right here of, of Antioch, I don't know what's going on. And those are the things that are actually going to directly affect my life tomorrow mm. if they change something. For sure. No, I, I, I agree. 100%, man. Um, we have strayed so far from the original intent of this the, this concept that is America. Um, it, it's, it's tragic. Um, but with this organization, we really do have an opportunity to get past all those partisan boundaries because legitimately every single person that you will ever meet can think of something that they should be free to do that they are not currently free to do or that the something that the government is doing that they think that it should not be doing. All we got to do is figure out where we can find the most common ground on that stuff at that point. You know, um, if, if I may, um, we got three bills through this, uh, the legislature this past session, but I would argue our greatest success was a bill that did not get through. That was on minor party ballot access. Um, Forgive me, but for those that don't know, if you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent, and you want to run for office in the state, you need to get 25 signatures from registered voters inside your district. If you want to run as any other party, Constitution, Green, Libertarian, Patriot Party, Kanye West Party, whatever, <laughs> you need 56,082 signatures. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It's 
absolutely unfair. It's absolutely protectionism for the two uh, parties in power. Everybody knows it, and most people don't think it should be that way. Um, but on that specific bill, um, I had a Democratic Socialist regional coordinator in Memphis uh, calling for us lobbying Democrats on that issue, and I had a GOP SEC rep calling Republicans and lobbying Republicans on the exact same issue as a Democratic Socialist and somebody that works for the Republican Party in this state working on the same issue. And that's what success looks like in this organization. Um, the, again, the issues we pick are no-brainer issues, uh, and there's so many of them. And we can do this literally for years, 41,000 pages of law. <laughs> so, yeah. What, um, how long has that ballot access law been in place, by the way? Do you know? Um, I think it went into place in the 60s, uh, was my understanding. Um, I have a friend who wrote a 90-page pamphlet on the history of ballot, ballot access. So um, it's all in there. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I think it was in the sixties. Uh, my understanding was that there was one guy that ran over and over and over and over and over again for governor and got no traction. Uh, and they just wanted to keep him off the ballot. So they passed this bill. And that really, that shows how you need to pay attention to, uh, obviously we want to change the things that are already in place, but we've also got to pay attention to the new things that they're putting in place because once it's there, it's very hard to it's get hard. rid of that. And so you wish right. you could go back to those people in the sixties or whenever it was and say, Hey, pay attention to this. This is a, this is an insane rule. Probably no one was paying attention to it whatsoever. The parties that were in control easily pushed this through and made it to mm -hmm. one of the most blatant acts that you can see of protecting those two parties from any from any competition. We're supposed to be yep. a lot of people who want free. We want free markets. We want competition. You definitely want that in your politicians, for sure, in your political parties. But now we're in this situation where, man, it's going to be tough to get those people to ever vote to take that away because there could they could have a lot of competition. And in these local elections where there's not a ton of not as many people voting sometimes, they're scared that someone's going to get out there and get out the vote and potentially take that power away from them. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's absurd. Um, you know, again, going back to Washington's farewell address, it's one of the things that you mentioned that he said almost verbatim in there that unscrupulous men will climb the ladder and then cut the rungs of the ladder out from underneath everybody else so that nobody else can climb the ladder. That's exactly what this ballot access bill or uh, that ballot access bill is. Um, you know, the national average for the number of signatures you need is probably somewhere around 10,000, but not higher than 10,000. There are a handful of states, including Florida, that has three times the population in this state that requires zero signatures to get on the ballot. You just wow. have to have the, the nonprofit uh, set up to be a party and you can run for office. It shouldn't be more complicated than that. But, you know, um, here we are. I love the protest that everyone pulled, uh, by the way, me having to scan through two or three pages of governor's picks for uh, uh, for I can't remember what year it was. It was when uh, it was when Bill Lee was running. Do you remember that everyone uh, I guess was there some is, if you're in the independent or whatever it is that you're able to are you able to do less signatures for that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Independent Democrat, Republican or independent is 25 signatures. OK, so any party 
if you want to run as a libertarian candidate, you can do so for 25 signatures with an I by your name and we and have, you know, seven people there with an I and you won't know who any of those part, what parties those people represent. Um, so, I mean, and that's the point. You get rid of the branding. Lots of people go in and vote D or R because they know those um, and they don't vote I's because they don't know who those people are. But if there was a G for green or a C for constitution or an L for libertarian, people would probably shift their votes a little bit. In fact, <laughs> when we were doing our ballot access bill, which is a whole nother fun story in and of itself, um, and when it was being um, deliberated in subcommittee, um, one of the um, House representatives um, literally walked up to the podium. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'm just barely paraphrasing. Um, he literally got up to the podium and was like um, talking to my sponsor, who was a Republican, and this guy was a Democrat. He says, um, you know, Mr. Sponsor, I don't think we should pass this bill because if we do – People might go out and vote for these parties, and that will take votes away from my party and your party, <laughs> Mr. Sponsor. That's literally Just what he said. Saying the quiet part um, out loud right there. Right. So, yeah. but, but that's okay because that's advertising for us when we go back and run this next time around. Um, you want to hear what the argument is against this? There it is. That's the only argument, legitimately the only argument. Taking, so. We should take choice away from people. That is exactly, uh, I'm sure everyone agrees on that, not just the politicians right. that are in power. No, yeah, I mean, and it went even further than that. I mean, he, he said that he thinks everybody in Tennessee fits into either the Democrat or Republican camp. Holy geez, there's 6.6 <laughs> million people in this state, and you're telling me every single one of them is either a Republican or a Democrat. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> That's no. uh, Is Tennessee the worst one in the country on this? Um, no. Um, prior to this uh, past presidential election, uh, Tennessee had the third highest threshold. So that 56,082 number uh, comes from 2.5% of the votes cast in the last governor's race. Uh, a lot of states do it like that, um, but a lot of states also do uh, votes cast in the last presidential race. So going into this presidential election, uh, we were uh, the third highest um, total in the country behind only California and Texas, our two most populous states. Um, with this massive election turnout in, in this presidential election, um, Ohio and Georgia passed us, just barely passed us. Okay. So we'll see, we'll see what happens in 2022 in our next governor's race. Well, uh, what other things have you guys been working on? You said you had two bills uh, that went, that went uh, in your direction. So not, not, unfortunately yep. not the ballot access, but what about the other ones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had three bills that got through actually. Um, we had one that pertained to civil asset forfeiture, uh, which we think is a really sneaky good bill on civil asset forfeiture. Um, we uh, got arguably the strongest police reform bill that has been done in any state in this country done in Tennessee. Um, and we got a bill done that prohibits um, cities and counties from labeling businesses as essential or non-essential. Um, so those are the three bills that we got through. Um, 
Right. And, you know, a wide berth of bills. You know, we got something that protects small business. We got something that's uh, um, criminal justice oriented uh, and civil asset forfeiture. And we got, you know, a, a police reform bill that, again, it's a really, really well, good police. Yeah, reform tell me bill. a little bit about that one. I haven't heard of it. Oh, um, so um, Michael Curcio and Mike Bell. Um, were the House and Senate sponsors, um, and uh, they brought a bill that, and and we got a bill through with there are a hundred or a hundred and thirty two um, legislators in the House and Senate in the state, uh, and this particular bill got a hundred and twenty three yes votes, uh, zero no votes, so. Uh, wide consensus to say the very least, but it, it banned no-knock raids, the issuance of warrants for no-knock raids in the state of Tennessee, uh, requires de-escalation training, uh, prohibits shooting at moving vehicles, um, addresses chokeholds uh, and the use of chokeholds, uh, has a duty to report um, excessive force by a fellow police officer, duty to intervene, in excessive force by a, a, a another police officer. I mean, it's legit the whole nine yards, and uh, we got it done here in Tennessee with zero no votes. It's a, kind of a monumental undertaking. What are some of the things you think Tennessee could do to reduce police interactions? Because I think that's a I think that's a really big issue that we run into. Obviously, the more interactions you have, statistically, uh, you're going to get more bad things that happen. So, have they done anything to address that? Anything on uh, legalizing marijuana? You know, that's uh, I don't I don't know that uh, that Bill Lee would ever sign that, but. Um, you know, anything to reduce the interactions? If he gets another four years, there may, he may not be able to avoid signing a bill on that. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, but uh, you know who Bruce Griffey is? No, I don't. Okay, Bruce Griffey is a state rep, and um, he's the guy that has the life-size cutout of Donald Trump in his office. Um, he's the populist Republican in the House. Yeah. Um, and um, self-described populist Republican, I might add. <laughs> um, but um, he is bringing a bill uh, that will create a non-binding referendum uh, to go on the ballot uh, for the uh, uh, on the next governor's race, uh, the state next statewide ballot um, that would um, ask people who essentially creates a poll on the ballot um, about decrim and medical. Um, so if that gets passed, which because it's non-binding, I would say it's got a really good shot at getting passed. Um, and then we have a vote and. 70 or 80 percent of the state says that they want it and it's going to be hard for um, mr lee not to uh move in that direction so that, that's one that we're tracking this year that's one that uh you know provided that the membership wants us to work that that's probably one that we will support yeah what i find uh, what it seems like police are doing because uh, i was just talking about reducing the interactions i feel like they're fishing a mm -hmm. lot i feel like a lot of the reasons that they want to pull people over that they want to talk to people is to see if they can find another reason something else that they might be able to to ticket or arrest mm -hmm. you for and so what i what mm -hmm. i what i would you know if i was a, a member and it sounds like i need to join up and be part of that uh that community but what i would really want to worry about that. is uh, is um decreasing the amount of that fishing that they're doing so so we yeah. don't have as many of these bad interactions uh, so 
So we had – there was a talk of a bill last year. It didn't get any traction um, that would um, remove um, the – ability of a police officer to search a car based on his thought that he smelled something <laughs> that could be illegal. Yeah. Um, so I, that would probably be a good place to go. Um, we'd love to see, um, you know, at least these, these, the simple possession type stuffs, um, not be prosecuted. You know, our law enforcement and our jails have much bigger fish to fry than, you know, some guy that was caught with $10 worth of marijuana. Um, so, um, and, uh, in general, you know, one of the other issues that was brought to us actually by a UT student, um, that we're going to throw out in front of folks, uh, addresses money bail. Um, and, uh, you know, for nonviolent crimes, we're not suggesting that if somebody's dangerous, we should not get put bail on them. But, you know, if it's driving on a suspended <laughs> license, you know, whatever, uh, man, they don't need to sit there and rot in jail for it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's one that we've been really ways. big on too. I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. it. It creates such an unfair system because what you're really saying is that uh, you should you should be able to leave if you can come up with the money to to pay to right. be able to leave. But if you can't right. come up with the money, then you should have to sit in jail. It really and it's still it's still people will say, well, this is dangerous. This is bad. That letting uh, letting even violent criminals out. First off, they're probably not going to be able to to get bail a lot of times. But mm. what you're really saying is that violent criminals that have access to money that it's okay for them to for them to get out but violent criminals that don't have access to money then they have to sit in jail it's just a financial mm. restraint and it, it makes no sense whatsoever right. right and you know the problem with that is we started trying to make it uniform across the board uh and in doing so it it doesn't take into consideration people's actual financial situations and you know what they can afford to pay mm-hmm. um and, and if we did that it would probably be less important to address um stuff like money bail and have those conversations um but you know, in, in this world that we're living in, you're exactly right. If you got money, you get you get out. If you don't have money, you sit there and rot. Taxpayers pay for it, and it's it's just dumb. It's it's just a bad practice. What are you guys uh, working on with the uh, small businesses? Obviously, we had some some shutdowns, some lockdowns. I would say. Uh, Tennessee, we didn't get it quite as bad as everyone else did. You know, I, I, uh, I was still able to go over the Mount Juliet and, and do a pretty good amount of shopping. I noticed some businesses haven't reopened since then. And, um, is there anything addressing the fact that we, you said the essential and non-essential part, right? That's what you were talking Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And that bill, like I say, we got that bill through and it prevents cities and county executives from, uh, um, labeling your business as essential or non-essential and closing it down. Um, originally, the bill applied to all executives, including the governor. Um, but um, the governor's office got wind of that, and they didn't seem to like that very much. So the bill was amended, and it doesn't apply to the governor. Um, but um, you know, we had another bill that we were trying to get through on, on that. Um, 
And that bill would have prevented um, executives in the state from using law enforcement to enforce any shutdown of a business, any restrictions on travel, or any restrictions on freedom of assembly. A much stronger bill. Uh, and that's the one that we would have liked to have seen get through. Um, but that bill died spectacularly uh, <laughs> and uh, was sent to summer study because, you know, everything that we've talked about throughout this whole pandemic about the governor's powers has gone absolutely nowhere. Um, so, you know, the powers that be don't want to give up that power at, at, at this time. And, uh, you know, we, we expect that there will be bills that will be brought around the governor's power. And those are things that we may well get on. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what could get through at this particular time. Like, I feel like this last session, they tried about 10 different ways to limit the governor's powers and nothing got anywhere near getting close to getting through. Do you think that, uh, do you think Bill Lee was a better governor to have than what some of the other states have dealt with? I mean, I, I remember hearing quite a bit and, and uh, you know, I don't know what you can say with the organization, stuff like that about specific, about specific members and, uh, and uh, people in office. But I mean, um, I, I remember hearing, well, Lee is actually leaving it up to a lot of the local levels to decide whether or not they're doing this and he's not doing uh, the shutdown or he mm -hmm. didn't do uh, the mask mandate. And this is at one time where I just remember hearing all that. And he's actually doing a pretty good job. Did he stick with that? Is he still sticking with that? You know, uh, I think there are definitely better out there and there are definitely worse out there. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm one that, you know, you see these memes online that are like, you know, you don't know everybody else's situation and, People may have had a hard day or they might have extenuating circumstances that you don't know. And you don't need to just go out and beat up on people for no good reason. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. You know, and Billy's been a mixed bag, um, which is typical. Um, I, I think we could have had a lot worse than Billy. And I think we could have had better uh, Billy. But, I mean, my understanding is uh, – What's her name? Is it Noam in uh, South Dakota? Oh, Christy Noam. Yeah. Yeah. My understanding is that, you know, she gets all this credit for um, never shutting down South Dakota. But I understand that she wanted to, uh, but the legislature wouldn't let her. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she's getting credit for not shutting it down, but. Is that what she wanted? You know, I, I feel like all these guys take a lot of blame for actions that are kind of out of their hands and uh, take a lot of credit also for actions that are out of their hands. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to judge that. You know, I, I'm a I'm constituent uh, in this state. I, I would like to see this state uh, be a, a freer state, uh, something more reflective of you know, what we thought we were going to get uh, out of the American experiment um, in its uh, original form. And uh, um, I don't see a lot of people moving toward that. So I take what I can get and hope that we can convince the constituents to lean on these guys. If the, uh, the founders came back right now and saw what was going on, how do you think they'd feel about that? <laughs> 
Hey, I think you've seen that meme that has uh, George Washington talking about with the quote, me and my homies would have been stacking bodies by now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I can't imagine a world, you know, they fought a war over a, what, five cent tax on tea or something mm-hmm. like that. We give 30% of our income to the government. Uh, I, mean, I, I We're not any, we don't resemble what they, they probably wake up thinking they were in France and France just speaks English now. Yeah. And I've tried to, I've tried to get that message across to even people who are Republicans because Republicans like to talk about the founders and the constitution and American principles and all that. But it's not, it's not as if we've gotten a lot of uh, laws from the Republicans or rules from Republicans that Washington or Jefferson wouldn't have wouldn't have tossed overboard or got their guns out for, you know, I mean that they would think the Republicans were just as tyrannical as the Democrats. Well, I mean, in this day and age, we don't have a, in this two party system, uh, we don't have a party that's out there trying to protect freedoms and rights and the ideas and principles of small government. Both parties at this point have completely capitulated to the idea that the government's job is to save everybody's life and preserve culture. And they use it as a tool to do those things. And it's not what this country was intended to be. I mean, we've got Democrats that were, you know, leftists 30 years ago that are further to the conservative freedom side than a lot of the Republicans that are in office today. Uh, So the shift in this country has been jaw dropping. I mean, in Tennessee, in the last somewhere between 10 and 12 years, I looked it up um, a couple of years ago and I don't remember exactly what it is, but Republicans have been in office for like 12 years and in a majority in Tennessee, something like that. 12, 14, 15 years. Um, in that 12, 14, 15 years, the state budget in Tennessee has more than doubled. It's getting close to tripling in that 15 years. We went from like $12 billion to $39 billion in 15 years. And a lot of that was overseen by fiscal conservatives and the Republican Party. But our budget still has grown at this astonishing clip uh, and nobody seems to, it's okay because these guys are fiscal conservatives because they've got ours by their name. No, it's not okay. Spending is the, is the one thing in this country that will kill us. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that breaks the country. You know, we can, we can talk about marriage and abortion and those laws can go back and forth and courts can overturn decisions and all that stuff all day long. We can have those fights and the country doesn't die. The country is dead when it comes to economics. If we, if we let it get that far. Um, so to me, spending is number one issue. When you're not cutting spending, you can't have my vote. I mean, that's the way I operate. You're speaking my language, man. We say it all the time. (laughs) Economics is the, is the number one killer of people, bad economics, people trying to control economies, uh, control trade, all of that. I think that's killed more people than anyone to tell you the truth. And that's what we really have yeah. to be worried about more so than COVID more, more so than our, even more so than foreign policy. I hate wars. Uh, they're terrible. 
But we got to focus more on the economics. While we're worried about Afghanistan and whether or not it was good or bad, you know, we got people pushing through $3.5 trillion budget deals through the House. And I know it's a, it looks like it's not going to make it through the Senate, but this is something that really needs everyone's attention right now. But no one's attention right. is on it. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I think the world would be a better place if uh, uh, Keynes had like flunked out of grade school. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe the same thing about Marx as well. Uh, I would, I would say, I don't, I don't think that right. there was much benefit came out of that either. But um, yeah. So uh, just real quick here, you know, we're talking about the whole country, uh, but. You know, you guys are really focused on the local level. And if you could just tell mm -hmm. everyone why that's what we need to be worried about, I think that would be good. Well, I mean, I imagine that you're a fan of decentralization. I imagine that you've talked about it more than once on your show and that your listeners are also aware of the benefits of decentralization. Uh, but that's generally, yeah. you know, um, the state government in Tennessee um, probably has the most control over your life uh, as a resident of Tennessee of any government that you interact with, city, county, state, federal. It's probably the state government uh, that has the most effect. And it Metro, be, Metro seems pretty tyrannical sometimes, I'll tell you that. Met, Metro yeah. really, uh, really, that's why I go to Mount Juliet for, uh, for everything. They're outside of Metro, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, Wilson yeah. County just barely. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. This world is killing me, man. We, 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 we hope that we can get people in this state to value their freedom, value um, – a world where the government has less impact on their lives and join us in creating that world, regardless of what their partisan affiliation might be. Um, you know, if we can, we have the ability to create something with this organization that is outside of the party system that still has an effect on our government. Um, we have the ability to unite people around a principle uh, and not castigate people for differences of opinions because everybody can think different. We're not we don't care if you disagree with us. All we care about is if you want to be on our team with something that we're working on. Uh, and I think living in that world, uh, we can create an organization that has all the constituents, all of them. Uh, on both sides of the aisle, and we can run a survey in any district, uh, you know, a few years down the road and walk into uh, walk up to a legislator in his office and be like, yeah, we ran a survey in your district and we got 80 percent of the people that vote to respond. And 80 percent of those people think that you should side with us. Well, that move you. That's a powerful conversation to have with a legislator. Uh, so and that's what we're trying to get to. Um, we want to be the anti-party. We want to be something that facilitates people just coming together for the right reasons around policy and not partisanship. Uh, and if we're successful in that, we can we can do some damage to the power of parties in this country.
Well, uh, tell me where people can go to join. Is it best they go to the website and go through there? They need to make sure they follow on social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, all the fun stuff, man. Um, 4LTN.org is the website. Um, You can go on. You can become a member. Um, Membership gets you a vote in the organization. It gets you a little bit of a a hand on the steering wheel for what we do. Um, Get all your friends together and have them vote as well. Um, and, uh, you know, you can help steer the, the organization and it's in entirety. Um, and again, uh, we take our issues and we break them out individually. So if civil asset forfeiture is your bag and you want to give money to that and you hate everything else that we do, you have the ability to do that. Um, and, you know, and we had you know, 12 bills last year. I think we had eight different uh, policy areas that you could give money to no knock raids, um, uh, blighted properties, uh, uh, warrantless surveillance, you know, whatever your issue is, you can give to that issue. And we will use that money toward that issue. Um, and we need something in this, um, world that, competes with these two parties that is outside of their control. And I think that's what we can put together with this. Um, but the organization for LTN.org, uh, is the website. You can donate, you can become uh, and become a member. You can just follow us. You can get updates and find out what's going on with this and, you know, what you might support, kind of track what we're doing. Um, and, um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, um, all the Instagram, I believe TikTok. I think we're getting to TikTok. So, um, all the social media is out there. Um, and uh, Facebook, we do quite a bit of stuff, uh, trying to let people know of our events, things like that. Uh, we're going to try to put together an event here in the Nashville area in the not too distant future. we got one coming up in Clarksville, uh, and one that we're trying to put together in Nashville. It'll just be like a social where we're asking people to come out and tell us what policies they want us to do. And if they fit in the wheelhouse, we'll throw them in front of the members and see if they want us to work that kind of stuff. Cause you know, we're an interactive organization like that. So, um, and, um, I am incredibly accessible myself. If you go to the website, uh, info at 14 or info at, uh, for all tn.org, um, is something that comes to me and my executive director right off the bat. The phone number on the website is actually my cell phone number. So if you need to get in touch with me, feel free. Um, I, and tons of ways we're entirely interactive and we need all the help we can get. All right, everyone, make sure you go to for Justin, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope Thanks we, so much, I hope we run into each other sometime around Nashville. <laughs> 